When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hey, stupid nerds, the download the uh, Boogie Monster with, with Kyle Kinane and Dave Stone. So you can find out uh, what happened to Frankenstein and the Wolfman and all that fictional stuff that never happened. And don't pay attention to World War II or the American flag or important things. The Boogie Monster. Podcasting the Unknown. I'm Dave Stone, let's get Kyle Kinane up here. Thanks for coming out. Thank you. Uh, oh man, talking about a lot about death in the day. Oh, okay. Death, uh, yeah, welcome to Live Boogie Monster uh, Podcast from Savage Henry Comedy Club. In Eureka. Thanks for being here, everybody. Yeah. It's an early, early Saturday. Uh, and thanks to uh, Savage Henry for hosting this. Yeah. The Savage Henry Comedy Club. Like I said, uh, I'm Dave Stone. That's Kyle Kinane. That's we me, Kyle. The Boogie Monster Podcast. Mm-hmm. That is no, us. We just said that like five yeah. times. Yeah. Um, I, like to, I like to be thorough. Yeah, we, we came up to uh, this a special episode. Uh, first off, we, we've been up here for a few days. We decided to go camping uh, out in uh, what was it, Elk, Elk Prairie? Uh, Elk? Yeah, Prairie Creek, Redwood State Park, and then uh, more specifically the Elk Prairie Campgrounds. And I so, uh, thought we'd go up there for a couple of days and what we call squatching, really just us <laughs> tramping around in the mud. Which, yeah, I, I, and we have special guests, and I do want to find out the difference between squatching and just camping. Because uh, we, 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 we went on a hike, Dave. What happened? We went on a hike, uh, unprepared. Well, well, I bought an Apple Watch. I thought, there's no way we're going to get lost. I just got an Apple Watch. <laughs> so let's just let's ignore all the signage and just go into the woods, because I've got an Apple Watch. We should be fine. Well, we definitely wanted to get a hike in because, you know, fitness is such a priority for me. It's like, let's get our steps in. Even though we're squatching, Kyle, we can't, we can't lax on our fitness. Uh, Kyle wanted to walk to the, to the ocean, to, I guess, it's Gold Bluffs Beach. And uh, he told me it's four miles each way. So that's four miles there, four miles back. And I'm like, eight miles for me, that's, that's ambitious but doable. And I was like, all right, let's do that. So we started off, and uh, we walked about a mile and a half. And then we saw a sign that said Gold Bluffs Beach, four miles. And I started doing that math, and I was like, well, hold on. That's, uh, that's gonna be about 11 miles round trip, 
So I kind of yeah. put the kibosh on that. And then you had an alternate route. Well, you at least you were smart enough to take a picture of a map at the yeah. trailhead that was clearly uh, some panhandler had drawn up <laughs> in the late 1800s because this was not uh, indicative of the current terrain. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I think there was like here be monsters on parts of that map <laughs> that we were using. So a mile and a half in, we, I put the kibosh on, on the whole walk to the ocean thing. I, I like the ocean. I've seen the ocean, but I don't need to walk 11 <laughs> miles to see it again. Uh, so Kyle's like, well, I, I found this other route that'll take us down like to some ocean. valley. I've seen the ocean. <laughs> Big deal. Uh, but he's like, all right, this other route will take us kind of a loop, and it'll be about three or four miles to get back to camp. And I'm like, all right, plus the mile and a half we already did. Five, five and a half miles, that sounds like a nice, healthy hike. That's kind of what I had in mind. And then uh, what, what, what happened, Kyle? We got about 12 miles. Yeah. We did about 12 miles. 12 miles. We got, uh, we got lost. Oh, I'm Dave, I mean, Dave, I, I don't want to say that my uh, trust in you is diminished. I understand. As far as, you know, Street Justice Dave, mm -hmm. survival, guy with bug out bags mm -hmm. Dave, survivalist Dave. Mm -hmm. But man, <laughs> I just watched you do everything wrong for 12 miles. <laughs> I watched you. First off, you get excited because you're like, this has to be the last hill. Beyond this must be a ranger station. And then you go running up the hill using all your energy. And then you get to the top and just go, fuck! And then you'd be tired. I'm like, yeah, you can't do that. That's I thought bad. we were a mile away. I was like, all right, <laughs> if I hustle, we could get there in 15 minutes. Yeah. So I kicked it into overdrive. <sighs> I was like, how many layers are you wearing? You're like, too many. Yeah. And you had just long underwear and a hooded sweatshirt. I'm like, get some of that off of you. And I'm like, if I'm the one with the common sense on this trip, we're doomed. Yeah, well, my mistake was I got high at the very beginning. And uh, when I get high, all responsibility and motivation goes out the window. I was like, Kyle, you navigate. Kyle's smart. He'll figure it out. I put all the navigational duties in Kyle's hands. Big mistake. 12 miles later. I put it all into the Apple Watch's hands. What do you think went wrong, though? Did you just misread the map? Was it the map? I just I was like, I would go walk around in the, in the woods. I, I didn't give it much thought, which but, is uh, how you die. Yeah. That's how stories start. We're like, I thought I was just going to go wander around out there, and then it's 127 hours, and you've got to chew your own arm off. Yeah. There was about five hours in, I was like, are, are we going to be on the news? Is it going to be a helicopter? I had to force you to eat a kind bar. I was worried, you were, you were breathing uh, in, a, in an alarming fashion. I just try and be polite about it. But there was, you were breathing in a way of like, don't roll, like I thought, like if anything happens, like I'm not carrying you out. That's not. That's what I was thinking too. I just can't get injured because Kyle's not going to be able to drag my fat ass out of here. Uh, but and, yeah, did you at any point did you get nervous? Like, oh shit! No, I wasn't. I wasn't nervous. I mean, we were on dedicated trails, and there mm -hmm. were signs that we clearly got wrong five times in a row. But then, right about, I'm like, I got to stay strong for Dave's sake. Mm -hmm. I got to be the one who's like, we're fine, Dave. Yeah. I got to be the guy with you know the morale champion of this hike. Hey, Dave, we're just out here getting exercise. Doesn't yeah. it feel good? Have a sip of water. Yeah. Have a bit of granola, Dave. Yeah. Enjoy the woods. And then we got to about mile nine where I really thought we were about to see a turn we needed, and then yeah. it was just nothing. And that's where I lost it and it was done. And yeah. then another couple came by and were like, finally, some other people. Do you guys know where the ranger station is? They're like, we're looking for the same thing. I'm like, we're all doomed. We're doomed out here. 
I uh, made it a point not to complain. I mean, to my credit, if your buddy says, hey, let's go on a four-mile hike, and 11 miles fucking later, I, I didn't yeah. complain at all. Of two reasons. Like I said, I put it all into his hands. So, you know, if I, if I relinquish the responsibility, I, I can't complain about it. Also, yeah. I've been eating like shit for a week. I'm like, this is just the universe telling me to get to step and fast. Yeah, you were, you, were, you were breathing too hard to complain. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure if you, if you could have caught your breath at any moment, I'm sure you would have cussed me out. But there was, you were just really worried about that oxygen intake at yeah. certain points. Yeah. And, then, and then it rained all week, and, uh, and you forgot your rain fly for your tent, so you had to sleep in the wet. Yeah. And then I, I went to take a shower at the campground, came back, and you were just standing there with a, a plastic cup from a hotel room. <laughs> That you had made a Jim Beam and Coke for yourself, and you were just standing there getting wet, looking yeah. wild. Just standing in the rain. You were just standing in your campsite with a little plastic rocks glass, all wild-eyed, with a kettlebell. You brought a kettlebell. You brought a 35-pound kettlebell to swing around a campsite. Fitness is life, baby. <laughs> like a goddamn gorilla. <laughs> You're just gonna drink whiskey and swing a kettlebell around your campsite. I was so unprepared, and I'm so ashamed because usually I'm pretty prepared. We went hiking last year, or not hiking, camping in Joshua Tree. I planned this shit for literally three months. I had a menu planned. I had all kind yeah. of gear. This was kind of a last-minute trip, so I just I wasn't as prepared. I forgot some key essentials, uh, including the most important camping tool, the thing that keeps rain out of your fucking tent. It I was, forgot that. It's all right. You, I mean, we're only going to a rainforest. Yeah. But uh, I forgot my my cooking tripod, my hatchet. Didn't have any of my essentials. Well, you had gear. a machete. I had a machete. You braz- you yeah. Brandished. I, I did pack Nerds Clusters and Intimates Cupcakes, so priorities there, you know. Nothing to keep me dry, but I got it fucking car cupcakes. Camping. Yeah, you, na- you napped in man. the car. Uh, I still had fun. I mean, well, I had a van, so I was dry the whole time. Yeah, so you, you, uh, yeah the mean, first night I slept in my, my soggy tent, and the uh, second night I was like, well, shit, it's raining even harder, so I just crumpled up into my Honda HRV, the passenger seat that doesn't recline all the way back, uh, just sitting in there, being cold and wet, enjoying nature. Well, I'm I'm sorry, Dave. That's all right. Sorry it's fun getting out there, though. Yeah, you know. I well, cooked a steak the first night. That was exciting. You did make a steak. Had a nice ribeye. Ate half of it. Put the rest of it in the cooler. And the next night, I ate it cold in the dark in my car like a pop tart, just just munching on half a ribeye. But uh, it is. I do like going to campgrounds that are clearly like this was the people that are nature lovers and people that love the outdoors because like. I mean, especially living in L.A., there's campgrounds that are 45 minutes outside of the city, and that is just, we just need six 30-packs of Bud Lights, and that's it, and that's how you camp, and it's like, oh, somebody wanted to listen to EDM at 4 a.m. That's the campgrounds you get there. <laughs> and so this one was like everybody had their proper gear yeah. and their, you know, their proper cookware and uh-huh. their tarps, and you were just kettlebell and whiskey drunk, eating, yeah. eating a... <laughs> Eating a cold steak, yeah, like a detective on the wrong assignment. Like, uh, my boy went missing in the woods. I'll find him, man. <laughs> that means I'm going camping in those woods. Yeah, but I, I still had a good time. I hope you still had fun. No, I, I, hope it was, it I mean, total absolutely bus, beautiful. That that area we went to. I guess uh, you guys are familiar with uh, that state park, uh, the Fern Valley Park. I guess they shot. Jurassic Park 2, shot a scene there. Uh, I, always, I don't know my Star Wars. Which ones were the Ewoks? They shot the Ewok part there. Return of the Jedi, I guess they shot that there. So. Return of the Jedi! <laughs> said, 
with the least amount of cynicism a Star Wars fan <laughs> can actually say in that moment. How do you not know which one has the goddamn Ewoks? I can understand not following the series or anything, but that's like one of the main three. I, yeah, that's the one I like the most because I didn't even know it at the time, but I was like, I like those woods. Those woods are pretty, and now here we are. That's, that's pretty cool. Well, and, I, and I'll, I will say this now because we're recording up here in uh, Eureka. <clears throat> we have some great guests that we're going to get to in a second here. <clears throat> but this is going to be a... A Sasquatch episode, a Bigfoot episode, yeah. primarily, and uh, yeah, and uh, hey, people that know the format, I'm usually the cynic. I'm the well, you know, Dave comes in with some blurry something, and I say no dice, and that's uh, you know, that's our dynamic. Uh, yeah. But I do, I I come from a place where I do want to believe in it, and I will say that it reaffirmed it being on that hike, just being on a, such a narrow pathway amongst ferns and redwoods and completely untraversable uh, like bottom growth or whatever they call it like oh yeah this is clear like anything can hide out there mm -hmm. anything whether it be an outlaw an, an animal you're not sure about you can just go out there and disappear with enough knowledge of the land i'm like oh yeah it's been a while since i've been up here wandering around that gave it more credibility that if something doesn't want to be found, there's a lot of places to hide. Yeah. So that got me a little bit more on board mm -hmm. with uh, the idea of Sasquatch and knowing that there's a lot of unexplored area uh, just in the Pacific Northwest alone. And so I'm, ba I'm back on board, buddy. Are you? I mean, so yeah, yeah. I, I was always kind of on board. It's just that, again, the evidence presented was always kind of like, all right, Somebody's got to go out to the woods with something better than an iPhone 4 with a cracked camera lens to give me proof. And we have guests today that yeah. could perhaps explain some more of that yeah. and get me on board. Shall we bring our guests up? <laughs> let's right? bring out our guest. Uh, let's bring out Dr. Foxmeat. Local legend, <laughs> Dr. Foxmeat. There we go. Local legend, local comedian, local wizard, Dr. Foxmeat, everybody. Yeah, Let's bring out Rowdy Kelly. Rowdy Kelly's in the house. Rowdy Kelly. He's got some stories and expertise. And last but not least, uh, Robert, is it Leiterman? Robert Leiterman, Leiterman, uh, author of Yeti or Not, Bigfoot and, expert. And also the Bluff Creek Project. Also, also yeah, this one. Fellas, grab a seat. Thanks for joining us today. You yeah. should have dressed up, Dr. Foxmeat. I know, I know. Yeah. <laughs> so, Robert and Rowdy, uh, part of the Bluff Creek Project. You also have your own podcast regarding uh, uh, the, the, the book I'm holding here, the Bluff Creek Project. And uh, we'll get into that. And Dr. Foxmeat is, uh, what, what, doctor, what, what's the accredited university, university you re received your PhD from? I actually, uh, I learned most of my wizardry on the streets. I'm a street wizard. Uh -huh. You know, I did not attend any of the Hogwarts or the, uh, okay. the institutions. So Honorary doctorate. Honorary doctorate. Yeah. Well, let's Online get... Online Phoenix University. <laughs> <laughs> well, let... let so now, I'll ask, being, uh, being locals yourself, do you, do, do you guys all know each other from, from the neighborhood? You know, around town, yeah. Around town? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, this is my first time doing a podcast with Okay. <laughs> this is the first time we've had a wizard on here, so. Rowdy, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, my name's Rowdy Kelly, mm -hmm. and uh, like you were saying, I'm part of the Bluff Creek Project, 
And we uh, basically rediscovered the Patterson-Gimlin film site, uh, the famous 1967 film that uh, everybody's, you know, yeah, pretty familiar yeah. with. There Big you go on your tattoo. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, you always see that, that pose of Patty walking across a sandbar. Anyway, it was kind of lost in antiquity, and we basically rediscovered it and verified where it was. Uh, Robert and, and a few guys started it up, and I joined in later on. Um, and then I've, I've produced Finding Bigfoot and, uh, and a few other Bigfoot shows mm -hmm. and been in uh, the film and television business for about 25 years, mm -hmm. uh, which kind of is what drug me into this Bigfoot world. Actually, Robert and I used to work on uh, shows together uh, when we'd shoot in state parks a film or something like that. Um, he would come work with us, or I'd go talk to him about looking for locations. So okay, he and I kind of knew each other. So yeah, Robert, your history is a is a park ranger, and yes. <laughs> <laughs> how did you guys? How did you verify the original site? Like, were you ta like? How did you find the original? I've looked for it and couldn't find it. Uh, from Willow Creek, like we looked for it downtown, for twelve miles the other day, we couldn't find it. Downtown Willow Creek, where they have like the museum and stuff. Where? From there, where would you go? Another couple more hours. Oh, a couple hours? Yeah, it's, it's uh, Little Creek is off 299, but uh -huh. in order to get to the film site, you basically have to go towards Orleans, through Hoop Up, towards Orleans, Hatchwitchbeck, Orleans, go north on the Go Road, 17 miles, make a left, drive another eight and a half more miles, get on more dirt roads to eventually get there. And then you have to walk about a, about a, about a mile to get to the actual site. So okay. Do, now that the site's known, do you get kind of uh, the fans showing up there, like the Area 51 freaks that'll come, like creeping around and getting in trouble out there. Do you have like, would you? Is there more traffic coming through that area that you have to police? Of like, well, actually, uh, we don't get that many people to go up there and find it because, well, you saw it's still quite a chore to get there. I've got a lot of people when I contact and talk to them, they still don't find it because they get lost on the way. Yeah. Mm. So you're just saving more people who got lost looking for the thing than actually they actually get up there. The second last, we can put some signs up. We do have a couple signs that we put up. It's, it's not like the Forest Service put signs up there. It's, yeah. like, a, it's like an adventure to go find it. Mm -hmm. But in order to pretty much get there, when you get down to the, the burn parking area, we have a sign there. Get down the bottom of the hill, we have a sign there. Yeah. And then you kind of walk this trail heading back over, and then we have another little sign there. And then you get to the film site. We don't have a sign that says you're here. Okay. You, you, you kind of have to figure that part out because there's like a trail that goes there. And then, then the, the river kind of makes a 90-degree turn. We call it the bowling alley, and it heads out. You go beyond that, you got to pretty much walk all the way up the canyon. Oh, so it's, it, it weeds out some of the, some of the nutters. Because I would figure, like, you know, like Roswell, things like that, you have the true believers, then it also attracts some of the fringe element to come in. Sure, and yeah. it, if you do your research, you can find a map. Uh, that's part of our project's duty was to make it safe or knowledgeable of where the site was mm -hmm. because it's a public area. Mm -hmm. It's Six Rivers National Forest. Anybody can go there. And arguably, probably not arguably, it's the mecca of Bigfooting. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's where you want to go. You know, this is why most of us got into Bigfoot was mm -hmm. the, the Patterson-Gimlin film. Mm -hmm. Whether it's authentic or not, that's really kind of what we're leaning towards, you know, trying to figure out if it is authentic or not. We're doing some, all kinds of studies on it. We've measured it up and down. We know exactly where Roger was standing. We know where the, the creature was walking and all that kind of stuff. So uh, more people do go down there now. 
Yes. Which way are you leaning as far as the legitimacy of the Patterson-Gimlin film? Uh, in my personal opinion, it's too good of a job for two cowboys mm -hmm. at that time. There's too many convincing tendons and muscles that mm -hmm. are flexing and moving. That hernia in the quad, do you know? You yeah, I mean, that just, just the shape of the quad itself. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that, whether it's a guy in a suit, he's pretty built, mm -hmm. you know, if we're showing that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. Uh, the evidence to me goes towards it's just too good. Yeah. You know, there, there's too many good things in that, in that uh, action of the, the, the creature itself and the fur itself, too. Mm -hmm. um, but that's, that's part of the, the mystery of this project and, and this whole uh, film is the guy that shot the film is very dubious. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of questions. Oh, really? That, and, yeah. And, I mean, it's, po it's possible. <clears throat> this guy was talented. It might be possible for him. Dubious is such a classy term to give to somebody. It's like, <laughs> I don't know, he, he might have been bullshitting us the whole time. A dubious yeah, yeah, is a... Yeah. And both Robert and I have met Bob Gimlin, who's still alive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, Bob was the guy that actually was looking at the creature the whole time, because Roger was, had his eye behind the film, mm -hmm. behind the camera. And we actually have that camera, too. We're trying to recreate that film. Uh, we've done it twice so far. We're going to do it one more time this year with the actual same camera and uh, 16 millimeter film uh, and using the subject. It's a whole different look. When you'd get there, you would not recognize it from the film at all. It's, um, it's grown up. It's a 55-year-old forest now. Yeah. So you got mature trees there. We got uh, alders and maples and, and firs you know, that have filled up the whole view shed. Um, but that was part of our project was trying to figure out exactly where it was at is was to see you know that background those background trees and see that scene throughout uh, the whole forest. How long did that take to once you decided, hey, let's go find the exact location? I mean, is that a weeks, months, years? How long did that take? Well, it depends where you start. Mm -hmm. Like you start back in 2003, called the big confusion, where it was the uh, uh, all everybody who knew anything about the film site, they all showed up, and the, the big day was like Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It's in Willow Creek in 2003. So mm -hmm. Greens were there, uh, Bob was there, a lot of people were down there. They couldn't all agree upon where it was, and that's the thing about it. You, everybody knows where Area 51 is, right? Yeah. And you're thinking that this is the Patterson Gimlin film site. Everybody should know where it is, right? But that wasn't the case. Uh, you wonder why, was, why were people confused as why this is not the location. But you go back in time, in 1964 was the big flood and pretty much silted everything over. That's why it's all clear. Uh -huh. In 1967 was the, was the film. And since then, the trees were growing back. So as time progressed along, the forest grew. And it got to a point where it was not recognizable by a lot of people. So when they got down there in 2003 to pretty much figure it all out, it's like it's over there. You know, they can't figure <laughs> yeah. out. So we had people who had preconceived ideas of where it should be based on what they remember, based on the film they watch, and based on the photographs. And now they're down there, and it looks nothing like it. So that starts the little doubt there. So uh, in '67, I mean not '67, in um, in 2003. I got to speak at the uh, salmon dinner, so I got to put up my little presentation I give to the park, and I got to eat some salmon and entertain people <laughs> for a little bit. But at that point, I didn't, the, the film site didn't really matter that much to me. It was just the location, right? 
It wasn't until later on when I met Stephen Strayford, and Stephen Strayford had this idea, like, he, he wants to go find the place. And I, I didn't even know it was lost, personally. I, I had no idea. So him and Ian were working on it, and eventually I got suckered in on it, and I was doing some videography work, just filming people doing research. Mm -hmm. And I interview people who have sightings or whatever. So I was doing a lot of that. So then I said, oh, it'd be great to film you guys figuring out where it was. So in 2010 was the official start day. It was in September. And I went into Stephen's bookstore, Stephen Schroefer's Bigfoot Books in Willow Creek. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you didn't go there when you went to No, oh. no. All that stuff was closed. I was there pretty early in the morning. My store is closed a lot. Yeah. So it's, anyhow. So, the, and the, the museum's not open except for by appointment. You can mm -hmm. go down there, you can make a phone call. There's a number there, and the person will come down. They're all volunteers. And they'll open it up and let you see inside and stuff. But anyhow, so 2010, we started the process. I started filming it, and then the next thing you know, I was a member of the team because I started thinking about it. And sitting there with Steven as he had his computer all set up, and he was running down the PowerPoint while I'm filming him, it was just like, it was like he's done this before. He had a blog, he did it a lot, arguing mm -hmm. about different things. So I was filming him going down that, and I was like, this, this would be fun to find this place. Yeah. How hard can it be? Yeah. You know. So we started the project, and then there were five locations where people thought they were, I mean, everybody's right until they're proven wrong, right? So one by one, yeah. we had to disprove. What happens is sometimes people will take all this information. That, let's say you started some research, and you did a lot of work. And then I come along going, well, you already did all the work. I'll just take what you did, and then I'll add to it, right? Uh -huh. But what if you made a mistake? What oh, if that's you, our whole podcast yeah. is him. Yeah. yeah. Looking at somebody else's research and being me uh -huh. telling him to Google... Like, look at the second page of Google search results, and that's where they disprove everything. Well, you, you can relate then. Yeah. I, how, your day uh, as park ranger, did they overlap with you searching for this location? You mean, did I tell them what I was doing? Yeah. I, uh, I'm wondering, like, like being a park ranger, did, did, was there more people on your side and believers because of how much time they spend and how familiar they are with the parks? Or is that or like a cop trying to solve a crime on his own time? Well, if you represent an agency, and if every time you say something, it reflects that agency. Yeah. So let's say you believe in little green men, and then you start talking about believing in little green men, and now they think that you got some guy with a badge and a gun running around believing in little green men. Yeah. <laughs> and so the agencies aren't really supportive of that. Yeah. So what we do in our own time is our own time. So. I was actually giving a presentation to the public. Like, the park you went to, they didn't have any campfire programs, but if you would have showed up for a campfire program, you would have saw a guy with a hat and wearing clothes, you know, badges, giving an interpretive program about what's going on. Well, I did that for the parks. Yeah. And I did it about Bigfoot, because it's an entertaining subject. Sure. You would have to agree. Absolutely. So people go to campfires, or they go to bars and drink and listen to people talk about Bigfoot, but. They want to hear about it, so I would deliver these interpretive programs, but never give an opinion just based on facts. So now I hear this guy on his own time doing Bigfoot stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I got in trouble before when I took pictures, but that's a different story. We'll leave it for later. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's a soundbite we will yeah. make sure to yeah. have context around. Yeah, I got in trouble before I took some pictures. So yeah. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, uh, I had a cease and desist order by my supervisor saying, you can't be doing any of this research at, at work. I go, well, you know I give these presentations on the subject matter and I have yeah. to research it. 
Because what happened was, I was, BFRO came down, uh, they were doing this thing. They said, yeah, the Bigfoot was here, he rubbed against the tree, it was at Humble Redwoods, it was on the river trail. Kid tying his shoe, dad sees half-naked individual move back and forth, rubs back against the tree. He gets excited about it, he contacts BFRO, BFRO come up on, on, on Labor Day weekend, that's kind of busy. Yeah, yeah. There's three days in the park you don't want to be there, but that's the only days you get off, so you go, right? Mm -hmm. It's really busy. So they show up and they have this big old speaker on their, their, their vehicle. And it's, it was a call blasting. Have you ever familiar with call blasting? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, imagine super, super loud noises while you're trying to camp. Yeah. Like, you're trying to sleep. What's that? Oh, there's nothing. Just do a fellow report later for it. So we told you, you can't do it here. But anyhow, so. I saw in the BFRO that there was this place that they went, and I go, that's those guys. And they had these pictures. I go, I know where that is. So I went up there to investigate it, and they were a little off on some of the information. So I got the brilliant idea, maybe I should just write something. I should write, tell them they're, they're misinformed, and type it all up pretty, and yeah. then take pictures. <laughs> and then my partner didn't want to be there, so I was standing there in the picture, wearing my Stetson, because you've got to wear your Stetson when you get photographed, part of the uniform. And next thing you know, it's like uh, he, Matt liked it, so he put it in the thing, and then yeah. somebody saw it, and somebody complained, and then I, I get called in the office. What are you doing investigating? It's my job to investigate reports. Yeah. 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 Anyhow, so after the cease and desist, that was over, and the next thing you know, I got this, hey, you know, Real Scary Stories is doing like this thing, and they want a ranger to talk and say there's Bigfoots out there. So. So they talked to my department, my department talked to somebody else, and then my department decided that you could only ask these questions. And okay, so I, I get my state unit, I get paid state time, I drive up there, I get to Crescent City. The sun's going down, it's beautiful. It's an orange skies. You know the sun? You probably didn't see it these last few days, but we have one. Yeah. yeah. So they, it's like beautiful, the sun is setting on the, on the ocean, it's got that orange stuff, and I'm in a freshly clean patrol pickup truck. And I'm sitting on the driver's side with my Stetson, looking out and they're interviewing me and the sun's setting, it's gold on the side of the car. And then they proceed to ask me all these questions that aren't on this list. Yeah. That, so I go, oh, I can't answer that. I, I can't answer that. I can't, I can't answer that. I, I can't answer that. Yeah. So I, I, I got the cutting room floor and a guy who had a cast with hair fibers in it and the sun was setting behind him and they filmed him. That was cool, that was good. But going from cease and desist to we're gonna pay you to do it, but you gotta answer certain questions. So I know I got off that little thing there. Right, but, but anyhow, so uh, going back to uh, 2003, uh -huh. getting involved in Steven, and then now I'm, I'm uh, filming this and I'm putting up these little 10 minute segments of our research on the BFRL YouTube channel. And next thing you know, I'm now speaking, and I'm now a member of this team, and we, and we put up like 72 of those little now things. Now you're the guy. Yeah, now, now you're a point person. For yeah, me. now all of a sudden I'm a member of this three-person team investigating these five sites that are the alleged sites. And so we had to start from the very beginning. See, I brought it around. See, I brought it around. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah. That. So we had <laughs> I knew to start. I knew you were going to get there. Yeah, eventually. <laughs> yeah. So we started. The, so we started with each one, and we end up disproving each one except one because we had to go through the ritual of starting from scratch. Because if you get one thing wrong, it multiplies. And I have a reputation, I want to be that guy who doesn't jump 
to conclusions because I, I want to be respectable, right? Like a lot of us, yeah. when you get involved with the subject, you just go out, let's say you want to pull a surprise on somebody, you want to go hoax them, right? Which gets us fun. Like you sneak up to his car when he's sleeping in it. Yeah. If you had a few rears, you sleep in his car, you go up and you knock on the window and you go, ah. Yeah. Yeah, and if we did that, then we're a hoaxer from day one. Yeah, so you've undermined all your efforts. Right. Yeah. So you want to make sure everything you do is, is good. And, and you also want to make sure you do your homework. Because if you kind of a half-ass approach to something, somebody's going to find a mistake. They always do. That's your job, right? Well, to find mistakes. Yeah, well, our whole show is a half-assed approach to everything. Yeah. Uh, but, so, but I like that, okay, so I like that the, the you're employed by this, the Forest Service, then was like, oh, we can use you as like, because isn't the idea to just generate interest in the national parks in the first place? And if this is an interesting subject, why not present it in a factual manner, in a research manner? And I like that like, they kind of made you now the X-Files of the US Forestry Service, of like the special division, kind of like, we'll let you have that. And like, instead of like shutting you out, like, no, this is valuable. I like that like they brought you into it. Yeah, well, actually, I work for the state parks, not the Forest Service. But oh, sorry. Yeah, it's, I don't know my... I know, we, we all look alike. We get mixed authority. Up yeah. Stetsons across the board. I don't yeah. know who's who. Well, I don't hats. know if the Forest Service wears Stetsons, but... Oh, well, parks call me But close. Mounties wear them. Yeah, yeah Mounties. Yeah. But. Dr. Foxmeat, you're a, uh, a local, let's just say legend. Yes. Uh, you grew up around here? I did not. Okay. But I've been here for... Quite some time. You've been here a while. Yeah. Um, any stories? Any encounters? The extent of my direct experience with Bigfoot or Sasquatch has been uh, Bobo. Anybody familiar with Bobo? The yeah, Bobo. Find a uh, drunk off of keg beer, hanging out on my back porch doing uh, Bigfoot calls, and then Matt Redbeard, who I'm sure you guys Redbeard, know. Redbeard, sure. He was out on my back porch one time, and he heard some some branches creaking and cracking. And he was dead set that that was definitely Sasquatch out there. I think maybe on Bobo's, you know, because Bobo told me straight up, like, you know, the, the place you're living, there's definitely Sasquatch out here. Now, I said there was a lot of keg beer involved, so <laughs> it's hard to say. But, um, yeah, that's been my direct experience with it. But, I mean, I grew up with Leonard Nimoy, you know, the Patterson-Gimlin footage. I mean, you know, and that's part of the reason why I've, you know, wanted to be in this area. Yeah, some of it, yeah. Eureka seems to have a lot of red-eye witness accounts <laughs> of things where I'm like, all right, well, I saw something. What, what did you do before you saw a thing? Well, there's some mushrooms. Well, and, there and there's, a lot, there's a lot there that is, you know, like you're saying, that Patterson-Gimlin footage is just so captivating and convincing when you look at the, because the, the term Bigfoot was, the difference between Bigfoot and Sasquatch, Bigfoot, the term, was actually coined in the Eureka Times Standard, and it ended up being uh, sort of a hoaxy sort of a thing. So it's, it's this constant push and pull for me. You know, I, uh, you know, you mentioned X-Files, I want to believe, you know, yeah. but there's definitely this constant push and pull yeah, that's been the theme of like when we ever talk about a subject is that there's enough true calamity in the world that it's hard, the older you get, it's harder to allow your imagination to 
take root. <laughs> like you just look at the news and be like, what am I gonna do? Like daydream about something that might make me happy? I gotta worry about a war in Ukraine and uh, <laughs> the, the, the wage disparity and everything. Like, uh, so I, I approach all these subjects from that standpoint. Like, the, I, I wanna be on board with it. It's, it's when, like, uh, like Rob, like you were saying, if the research isn't done, the evidence isn't really looked at from a, uh, inquisitive viewpoint, just like, well, look, here's a video. Like, all right, has anybody looked at the video? Like, really looked at it? Or just went, like, I'm going to believe, so I'm going to believe any piece of evidence that comes along. And that's what undermines so many of these accounts for me, is because nobody's kind of even double-checked themselves because of how bad they want something to be, that they never even, like, well, i got to Right. Yeah, that, that, that's an that's always the hardest part. Yeah. Yeah. And, and working on the shows that I've worked on, I've interviewed probably 60, 70 people you know, for the shows. And once you interview that many people, there's always that chance that, you know, somebody's actually telling the truth. Yeah. yeah. And I've talked to a lot of old timers, you know, talking about being old, you know, it's not just young people seeing mm -hmm. this. These are old timers that are coming out of the woods yeah. talking about it because 50 years ago or 40 years ago, it was not a cool thing to say. Yeah. You got yeah. ridiculed. But now with all the productions that are being made about it and a little more prevalence for people to believe in it, they're coming forward. And these guys are woodsmen too. I mean, they know the difference between a bear yeah. and they know the difference between an owl hoot and stuff like that. And, and, but what you guys are getting into and what he's talking about is an experience. Mm -hmm. You go out in the woods at night and you hear something creaking and cracking mm -hmm. and that just becomes an experience. We're never gonna prove Bigfoot that way. We're going to have to have a, a either another really good video with some physical evidence or a body. Yeah. You know, it's not going to be proven by going out. And you guys were talking about this. You know, what's the difference between squatching and just going camp? Yeah, hanging out. Not really much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not really. Just got to be out there. Yeah. Just got to you got to be out there. Yeah. And 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 what you know, Robert and I are fairly seasoned in being in the woods. We can differentiate what the sounds are out there most of the time. Mm -hmm. But both he and I have had experiences where, well, no, I've never heard that before. What, what's been the most uh, compelling? Uh, compelling uh, for me was for showing up at a very remote location in a three-car convoy. Um, me and one other person, Robert and his son, were in another car and then one other car behind us. And it's a one-way in um, lake up in the mountains. And we pull in probably 11, 11.30 at night, something like that because uh, we had a big camp out about seven miles away and there were several people down at that camp out, but that was 2,000 feet below and you know several, several miles away. Anyway, we pull in and um, as soon as uh, Bart and I get out, we hear what Bobo does exactly. Mm -hmm. Just the, the huge male call, I guess is what they're, they're saying it is. And we're like, man, that, that could be Bobo, but we know Bobo, he's seven yeah. miles away, he's not anywhere close to us. Mm -hmm. And there was no evidence of anybody else being there. Yeah. Um, only Bart and I heard it as we stepped out, but it was very loud and uh, it was echoing off. We kind of figured out where it was and then we eventually did a, a hike over that direction, me with a sound recorder and him with a uh, FLIR. I think he had his FLIR. Nothing really happened. We had some kind of weird, heavy thud um, but that, that's the closest thing I've ever had. It was a very definitive call do you, that I don't think anybody could have replicated that. What, what's your initial react? Do you, get, do you get 
like, do you get scared? Do you get excited? Like, finally hearing something in person, or you're just kind of like, whoa, oh, wow, this is, right, right. <laughs> wasn't right. Even though I've been doing this all the time, I wasn't ready to hear it. Well, when you hear something like that, and I'd only probably been uh, involved with the Bigfoot phenomena for about two years, so that, that when you first get into something like this, you're looking at every video, and you're, you're really doing your research, and you're out in the woods, and you're a little more sensitive. Yeah. Over the years, you become a little bit mute to all that kind of stuff. Now, if I heard something like that again, that would have been incredible, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. But at that time, yeah, it, it definitely excited us. Bart, who is a much more seasoned Bigfooter, so to say, was super excited about it, you know, yeah. and, and he's pretty convinced that that was, you know, a, a male Sasquatch. We were in a prime location that had uh, previous sightings. I mean, as much as I love camping, I'm an absolute coward. And any sound, I'm just like that. Now I'm sitting in the car. Like every, like I've gone backpacking by myself, maybe overnight a couple times, and it's, I didn't sleep at all. Any twig that snaps, I'm like, it's just a series of what sure. creature? And, and sure, or yeah, loner, yeah. There's or, so many creatures that that are nocturnal, so they're out moving around at night. And actually, here in Northern California, we have a huge population of black bears. Yeah. And black bears can and can move around. They move around at night. Mm -hmm. They can get right into your campground without even hearing them before you hear them step on something and break it. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of things out there that are going to make sounds at night. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's it, at night is a whole different experience. Yeah. And like I said, you're only going to have an experience at night. Nothing's going to be proven by what you hear or you think you you saw or whatever. Even with our flurs or our therms, um, those are just going to give us evidence, you know, to to keep us going. I don't think it's going to prove anything, though. Why do yeah? Why do you think you pick anything up with like the like looking for like body heat and those kind of way you could scan for like natural heat, animal heat, what have you? Oh, I, I, we have a friend who's who's definitely picked him up really? uh, with the flare, yeah, yeah, with thermals. And Bart, uh, yeah, Robert did uh, a follow-up investigation on that incident. And uh, actually, he and I, Robert and I, were the first ones to see that footage. And we spent you know several hours going over that footage because Bart had sent it to us. And uh, it, to us, that we looked at it and we we made all kinds of speculations of how many there were and how they were moving around um and it definitely was possible to get them you know and and we're in that we're in the 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 group that it, it's a living it's it's not a uh apparition it's not a alien you know well, if, it, if it's right. out there it's it's a real it's not going through portals flesh and blood yeah, yeah exactly. uh, no no portals no they're just i i think what people are experiencing there is an animal that is elusive and adapt to being in the woods and they're just not used to something disappearing that quick on them or do being you, able to now just... do you clash with them like you're searching for sasquatch but somebody's like he's going through portals and you're like you guys are fucking idiots. oh yeah definitely yeah we're part of the few groups that okay that clash so really hard clash. On that. yeah we're we're hard <laughs> we're hard logic you know yeah yeah can we just all get along yeah, yeah. well that's what i was saying with the distinction yeah. between sasquatch and bigfoot you know there seems to be Oh, you don't see him because he's, you know, he's magic and he'll, you know, sprinkle some dust and turn into a puff of air kind of a thing. Yeah. You were talking about calls. Uh, outside the Patterson-Gimlin film, my favorite piece of, I guess if you want to call it evidence, I'm sure you're familiar with the Sierra sounds, Ron Moorhead. Never heard of him before. <laughs> Amazing. Just absolutely, I'm, I'm assuming you're... you're being yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are your thoughts Rob's on the got Sierra? Real dry sense of humor. For, for people who don't know what I'm talking about, was it 1974, 76, some, 
sometime in the 70s, Ron Moorhead and a few other guys were camping up in the Sierra Nevada mountains. And uh, I guess they ran across what they described as a whole family of, of Sasquatch. And they got out their audio recorders, and it's fascinating. Like, it's not just calls. Yeah. It's yeah. like language and vocalizations, and it's, it's incredible. Robert can follow up on this, but my direct opinion of that, it's too good of a recording. Really? It's like they had it right in front of their mouth. Yeah. You know, and that, that was my problem with it, mm-hmm. is how did they get that good of quality recording that they actually put a microphone out Especially in the woods, is what, supposedly what he did, mm-hmm. and then they came up and around it. But in turn, Robert's got a kind of an antidote to that, yeah. because there's some similarities to that. A little story, uh, since you guys spent some time in the Redwoods, uh, this story will reflect not quite where you hiked, because mm-hmm. you guys were lost, you can't remember where you went, but kind of the same general area is... Um, well, I saw the GPS afterwards on my Apple Watch, okay. it showed me exactly where I went. <laughs> Once I got back to cell service, I could see where I went. Kind of go like this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A few laps. <laughs> yeah. It's starting to look familiar. You can't go by that moss on the north side, because... No, no. Yeah, it gets a little confusing. Load, load of crap. Yeah, real confusing. So uh, the first BFR expedition was in 1990, uh, uh, I'm sorry, going back too far, to 2000 and f- in 2004. And my job was to set it up. And so that was the first public BFR expeditions. And a, a couple years into that, uh, we had this group called the Shelby Car Club. And it was kind of a nice group. Kind of, we kind of brought, brought them up. But I think I'm getting a little ahead. So let's go back to the, again, to the, the big expedition that we set up. Well, I had Ron Moorhead and uh, the other guy, both of the two guys that came in. They were my guests, and they talked about the Sierra Sounds. I, never, I didn't know, know these guys. I, I heard about them. I hadn't listened to any of, of the footage. But I, got, I got, to, got to have them come in. So they both gave their talk. And we are up pretty much in the Redwood country, and they're giving their talk, and they're talking about how they got things recorded, what was going on. And Ron's got a great voice, you know, narration, really good voice. And he narrates the whole thing, which is nicely done. But anyhow, so I'm sitting back listening to these guys going, really? So my job was to sell the CDs for $10 a piece, you know, that, while they were giving the talk. And everybody was sucking it up. You're like, seriously? You know, I, I can make those noise. I mean, I can do all that. That is so. kind of what it sounds like. <laughs> so, so it's like a caveman. So I've got to listen to all this going, okay, whatever. And they were nice guys. So nine months later, I'm with Bobo. We're on the side of this mountain. We just did the Shelby Car Club for a special guest. And they basically left. Um, a lot of stuff happened. So now it's just our time, right? Because when you have your clients, you spend your client time, right? You cater to their needs and, yeah. and you make sure, you know, they get no guaranteed Bigfoot sighting, but as long as they think it's one, that's okay too. It's like charter fishing. Yeah, I, yeah. Could take you out for a good time. We don't know if anything's going to happen. But. Right. You're selling experience and that's more important exactly, than anything else. Yeah. yeah. So they leave it a good note. So they left at a good note and they had some, they had some weird stuff happen to them. And we also found some foot impressions and hand impressions in an area where this all went down. So when the clients were done, it was our turn to go in and see what's going on. So we did. We went in there. We set our place up in the daytime so we could find it at night. And then we, we come back at night. So uh, Bobo and Mal, a guy from Yakima, they were all set on the hillside. It was dark. I was going to walk in with Matt Moneymaker, but he changed his mind because it was dark and scary. So we're just getting ready to leave. And all of a sudden, something huge just crashed into the brush at, at, at the starting point of the trailhead. Well, 
that's scary. I don't care how brave you are, it's like, you don't, you don't expect that. So anyhow, I go back out the trail, I go, there's something over there, so Matt shines his light everywhere. Just because you saw him do it in the show doesn't mean he doesn't do it in real life. Yeah. But he shines the light everywhere, that's kind of it's a protocol, but anyhow. So anyhow, so now he doesn't want to go. So I'm by myself, so I gotta get there. So I'm walking along the trail, intermittent shooting the light so I can see where my next thing is, because I don't want to ruin light discipline because it ruins your eyes too. And I, I successfully made it there. I wasn't eaten, which is good. So we sat up on the hillside and we, uh, Bobo likes to cook bacon. So we cooked bacon at 10 o'clock. <laughs> we ate the bacon. No shit. We cooked some more bacon, we ate the bacon, we gave some to Mel. We cooked some more bacon and we ate all the rest of the bacon, so it was gone. But the whole idea at night on the hillside in the dark is you're cooking bacon, all those smells are making their way down to the, the bottomlands, yeah. the swamps. So we're like, hope it's gonna work out. So yeah. we hear the typical owls, nothing exciting. So now Bobo and I, we're, we're trying to stay awake. Bobo's this big, so I can lean against his back, we're like back to back. And we're like half asleep, but we're really not asleep. But you know, we hear things, and all of a sudden, here there's, oh, and I'm awake now, and I'm like, look at Bobo. He looks at me; his eyes are big, and I go, what is that? You know, what's that? What's that? I don't know. You're supposed to know these things, Bobo. You know, how can you not know? <laughs> so, my brain flashes back. Of course, after I recovered, but my brain flashes back to nine months before that, before expedition. Ron Moorhead and, and the other guy are playing these CDs and I'm going, mm -hmm. oh, yeah, I can do that. I tell you, that's, that's like a recheck right there. I heard those sounds on that hillside and there's three of us, Mel's up top, I'm with Bobo and it's just down there. You can't see anything, but you can tell where it came from. How far away do you think this is? I'd say it was probably a good, uh, maybe good 70, 70 yards or less, or less, more I think about it. It was, it was close enough to hear it like it's right there, but yet we were on a hillside, so you take that into consideration, and then at night, sounds travels quite a bit. Yeah. So um, I don't know what did that. I try to be as... It sounded like well, an old Japanese man. Yeah, a little samurai guy out there lost. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what are you, are you worried about, like, you're trying to flood nature with the smell of bacon. Are you worried about what else might just be like, oh, shit, bacon, because, like... <laughs> I mean, a whole wood, the whole forest of like, oh, it's bacon. <laughs> like, not well, just Bigfoot, but every other single animal that well, likes bacon, which is all of them. <laughs> well, we talked about an adventure. You want your adventure. That's, I don't recommend some of these things we did. You know, this is some of the process. <laughs> but we, we got a response, and that was the whole point. Yeah. Of course, I'm following Bubbles' lead because he knows what he's doing, right? He's been doing this for, for centaurs. You know, he knows exactly what he's doing. <laughs> And then when nothing happened, we, we got a little disappointed. And then all of a sudden this happens. And now you're like, what the heck is that? Yeah. So we stayed up as long as we could. It was time to go to sleep. And then once we did that, we heard movement on the perimeter of where we were. We couldn't see. Therm didn't pick it up. Nothing picked it up. But it was moving on the outside. Really? And so do I still use bacon when you can? You know, it's always a good tool, but be ready for it. But, <laughs> but that's, that goes back to that sound where you hear something and you think this is full of, you know, dookie yeah and then it happens to you it's like every time you hear somebody tell a story and you're like they're baking this shit up yeah and then you get to experience that story and now other people are saying you're making this personal shit up. experience yeah. yeah but how do you prove some of that that's the tough thing because mm -hmm. it happens but how do you prove what did that you have there's no foot impressions you didn't see anything. You smelled something skunky. Mm -hmm. But then there's skunk plants nearby. Was it that? 
it, it made that sound. Was that an owl you heard? Was that a barred owl? And I've heard lots of barred owls. They sound like monkeys talking. Yeah. But they didn't sound like that to me. Yeah, and we've got other stories of having rocks tossed at you, seeing shadows moving, finding foot impressions that are bare, double taps. And, and you start thinking about, what do I really hear? Like, nothing like a great adventure when you're by yourself and you're in the middle of nowhere and you hear, Robert. <laughs> and you know, that's, that's my name. Yeah. Why, 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 why am I hearing my name being called? So that's something else that happens. You spend a long time outside, you start hearing weird stuff. And it makes you wonder, am I sane? Am I crazy? What, did my brain just flip this over and make it that way? Yeah. Or is there something out here that we don't quite understand that has the ability to, to mimic or ability to throw rocks, make call sounds, hide from cameras? Oh, yeah. 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 Wait for it. Go through portals. Hey, yeah. That's one of the theories. That's one of the yeah. ideas. But they, how, you know? how do we disprove a portal? Yeah. Seriously. How, how do you disprove it? I mean, so, we, we've hung on the idea that, like, you know, think about what you didn't know 100 years ago. So what are we going to yeah. know 100 years from now? So just keeping that, like, again, that's like more uh, fuel in the flames of imagination to allow things that seem unbelievable now, but knowing, like, we don't know all the science. We, we will never know all the science. We, at every point in humankind, we're like, well, now we're the smartest. For now. Yeah. But in five years, we know we're going to be smarter than no, this. We and we're going to disprove things and improve things as we go along. So... I just, I, 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 sometimes it's like, do you get the personal satisfaction of knowing you've had your own experiences and knowing that you believe, and how much do you, when do you encounter a point where like, I'm sick of trying to prove to somebody else yeah. that I know uh, what no, I saw. We have a friend yeah. who's got some, he's a, he's, a, he's a, a friend of the show, Ryan Singer, and he's got some wild tales about everything, but he'll, yeah. he always prefaces it with, by saying, like, I don't need you to believe me, yeah. but I need you to know that I believe what I'm telling you. Well, and that's kind of the core of all my beliefs when it comes to any of this type of stuff is, take Bigfoot, for example, hundreds if not thousands of eyewitnesses. Are they all wrong? Are they all full of shit? Are they all mistaking it for a bear or something? Like, a, a high percentage possibly, but some of these folks with no motivation to, to lie about it. Just regular folks who are like, this is what I saw. Like, I believe some of those folks. Sure. Yeah, yeah, and that's you know that's why it's it's hard to get into that 100 percent that they're out there until you get that visual. But yeah, I, I I you can imagine a lot of different things of what these creatures are, and if they've been around humans for long enough and they're, they're doing what they're doing, they've probably adapted to staying away from us mm -hmm. at the, the, you know, the, the ultimate degree. Because at one time, I imagine we tried to exterminate them in the past. Yeah. And so they probably learned that to stay away from us. Mm -hmm. But I'm with you. I've just talked to way too many people that are convincing, sane, you know, and, and, and they, they have no reason to lie. Yeah. Have the, has the increase in all like the forest fires that have been happening recently created any change of sightings or proof that's been found? I, I, I don't think so, you know, as far as in, in our network of sightings and stuff like that, not that we've heard. But uh, I, I do have uh, witnesses that I've talked to that have experienced uh, seeing a family of Bigfoot during a fire. 
right. as he was escaping on a road. Uh, uh, actually, he was he was a manager of one of the uh, uh, hotels over in Coffee Creek area, and uh, he said that three people like ran in front of him and then went up this hill and he was all pissed off because it was very smoky. He thought it was just a family of three people that ran in front of him because he really couldn't see him very well. But as he looked up the hill, they were already all the way up the hill. And, you know, as he really thought about it, he was like, those weren't three people, you know, that ran in front in front of me and because they're, you know, 100 yards up this really yeah. steep incline by now and yeah. as I look, look up there. So, yeah, I, I imagine they're displacing them if they're around, but... Uh, yeah, I, nothing, nothing recent that we've heard of, no. Uh, not to change the subject, but I, I wanted to bring up uh, tools. So all the tools that technology of today, they're being used to search for Sasquatch. And like, the cameras, you get some interesting pictures, but maybe they're not quite what we think they are. But let's talk about the therm real quick. And I'll go back to an investigation I had where uh, Bart, same guy we're talking about, uh, it's just a second therm sighting, right? First time he didn't, he didn't, that the earlier therms did not have the capability of recording. You needed to have a video camera and transfer what it sees on that therm to the video camera that records it. And that's how you're getting your records. So Bart had to go take a leak and he saw some movement. So he's curious. So he goes back and gets a therm that's not connected to recording ability. Yeah. He films and he sees his first squatch. He's, so he says he went from believing to knowing at that moment as he watches yeah. this. At first he thought it was maybe one of the other people in camp using the bathroom in the bushes, but all the behavior. So by the time he gets Cliff to bring it and hook it up, it's gone. You know, sure you saw it. Only one who saw it, one person. Yeah, yeah. Like you, like for a bird confirmation, two people see it. You, you check the block. One person, sorry, can't help you. So let's go to another. Uh, I'm going to say two, two years, two years later. And now he's over in the Sierras. And uh, you, are you familiar with hearing about the kill site in the Sierras? Mm -hmm. Okay, there's the Sierra kill site. Uh, it's north of the Truckee area, anyhow. So in the same general area, he's out there, and they're doing a reenactment or trying to figure out about how the kill site went down, right? So the guy who allegedly shot is oh, is there. this the Justin Bartha? No, no, no. Shmeha. Okay, yeah. Shmeha. I'm thinking of another guy. Yeah. yeah. Not Bartha. Bartha's an actor. His cousin. That guy. Yeah, his cousin. Yeah. Yeah, I saw his interview. What is that? They, they killed one? Yeah, this dude's hunter. This guy's like a, a expert hunter, hunts yeah. deer and elk. And he's he's got a long, crazy story about how he put a couple of them down. Yeah. Uh, okay. Shot a large one, disappeared in the trees, hearing him crash in a brush. The smaller one came out several times, ends up shooting it. Uh, asked what the difference between shooting and killing. He, he basically shot the big one that killed the little one in terms of philosophy didn't need to be done, but why, why do you do it? Anyhow, okay. whether you believe it or not, okay, that happened in 2010. So 2011 comes by, and uh, by 2012, um, Bart has a thermal sighting. This time he's ready, so he has a nice therm. Every night he travels with it and he uses it. He sits in the camp and shoots out. While people are in the camp making noise, he goes out and he walks around and he records. He's had some great luck with the therm. Uh, when we go out, um, I'm a night vision guy, he's a therm, and I let him know that's a rock he's looking at, and he lets me know that that thing that's glowing green, you know, is actually algae or, or something come off the trees. Yeah. But anyhow, so he gets this, he gets this thermal sighting. Right? He, he basically films it through a gap in the trees, and there are 
the guy I talked about in the Shimei has in, in a hammock sleeping by the fire ring. You have two other individuals around camp. You have a third that's sleeping in his car, and you have uh, a Bart and and uh, and Roll, um, Michonne walking up this road, and then Bart shooting down to check on camp. And lo and behold, he sees these figures glowing with heat signatures. So he films, and then he runs out of batteries goes back down to the camp, tells the guys, oh yeah, we heard it, there's something up there, yeah, we heard it, we, thought we saw shadows moving. He's, meantime, he's still looking, he can't see anything, right? Gets new batteries, goes back up, same guy, same place, they're still here. So he films them, and he films what looks like one stepping between gaps and trees. I'm pretty sure it wasn't a portal, but you know. Yeah. And we the don't other, know yet, we don't know. Yeah, he steps between gaps and trees, and then you have something that sitting stationary that doesn't move, but it's glowing. And then you have something getting dropped from a tree, and then you have a glowing object shoot across. So there's like four things going on, right? So we get the footage, Roddy and I, I call him over, and we spend three and a half hours debunking it, right? That's the firing. See, it doesn't move. It's a human to be moving. That's the firing. Uh, that's the guy getting firewood, or that's that. Oh, that's a bird that came by and landed. Oh, that was probably a flying squirrel. They have flying squirrels gliding across the sky, right? Yeah. We had it figured out. So, and I wrote like a, a nine-page, uh, what I think at the moment. And then Bart goes, well, come on up and investigate it. So I wrote a 20-page after that, but on the investigation. But we went up there, and we tried to duplicate all the actions. Because we did it's like a lot of people will see something and they're not there. So they don't know all the, the, the details. And we jump to conclusions because we always know more than the next guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so we jumped to conclusions on it. And I did the same thing. We, we did the same thing. It was part of the breaking down process to build back up again. So I went out there. We, I spent eight days up there, uh, basically going over and dropping rocks, warming up things under armpits, mm -hmm. and then see if you can see them in the therm. I went all over looking for objects that could be picked up and tossed that show up like you want them on the third. And the best thing were rocks. There was a few of those. Crushed beer cans don't fly as well. Plastic ones don't, regular beer cans. There's a bunch of free range cows. We thought maybe throwing some, some cow poop, see if it flies through the air if it's hot. Yeah. We didn't do that, by the way. Uh, the dry ones, Frisbee, <laughs> yeah. I'm not touching the, the smoking stuff. <laughs> So we, we come down to rocks, so we, we duplicated everything there, and we figured out that whoever had dropped that rock mm -hmm. um, had to be uh, about nine feet tall mm -hmm. to drop that rock because it came from a higher place. So we had Kip, six foot three, about that wide. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, okay, Kip, I'll be nice to you, or like that. Yeah, but like that. So, and we couldn't get the height to fit, so we had to put them on top of logs to get them way up there, just yeah. to duplicate that. We threw objects, and tried to get them to bounce off trees to see what worked best, a rock worked best. We even put Kip in the gap between trees and had him walk to check height and girth. We even found out that looking through this gap from his position, it goes through some scattered trees, it gets to the bottom, and the meadow kind of goes flat, and then it starts going downhill. Well, we had another glowing object, that walk like a human, move between this gap, and it was higher up on this gap, which meant it was farther away. So we had three to four individuals around this campsite moving around, and then you had uh, Bart's car with the cameras shooting into the forest. Well, whatever it was moving around walked between his vehicle and the gap people at the firing. 
So we piece this all together with, with, with research, breaking it down, duplicating it. And when I was done, the uh, therm quality wasn't the best. Yeah, plus Bart doesn't know what a tripod is, so it's always like this. So, so anyhow, so it, it wasn't like, Bart always says it wasn't damning footage, which means you can't look at that and go, oh yeah, that, that's a squatch. Mm -hmm. But it was something that was large, and there were several of them, and they're around this campsite. So now you can speculate. So this is in 2012. What happened in 2010 was the Shmehesh killings, if, if they indeed they did happen, right? Mm -hmm. And Shmehesh is sleeping on this cot by this fire, and we have these things moving around this campsite. And you know, they're carrying rocks, because we saw them fly and get dropped. And then you have one that doesn't move, it's stationary. And what is it doing? Is it watching Bart and uh, Sean film? Mm -hmm. and, and the other ones are really agitated, they're moving quickly and they're not staying in one place, while one of them is stationary, it doesn't move anywhere. And then you have one going back around because when you look through a gap, you know how many are on this side and how many are on this side because you'll see them pass. Mm -hmm. That's how we figured out there were three to four of them around camp. Yeah. And again, it doesn't, you know, it's not proving anything. Yeah. It's just telling but, you what it's not. But it's, yeah. proving yeah. It, it's proving to yourself that you want to keep researching these things. Yeah. Yeah. You want to keep looking. But, but that's what it takes, is that, yeah. kind of, that kind of follow up on experiences for people to go out and, you know, see what the height was, how far away it was, you know, put people into those situations where, you know, they can look at them and compare. So yeah. that, that, and going back to these sightings and stuff like that, that's what people are, maybe they're afraid to go back or whatever, but that's what needs to happen more often. Maybe one of them left some hair or, you know, a little bit of skin or something like that, because that's the next thing is the DNA. You know, yeah. they're, they're going to have to get some DNA off a dead body to have something to compare it to. Um, they, they've been trying to do the DNA studies, but nothing's come back. Yeah, yeah this thing called environmental DNA, which is like everything that plays with water, poops in it, pees in it, eats over it, so we slough off cells. So part of the, the is collecting water samples and seeing what made contact with the water. And so that's kind of, it, to me, it's like, it's like magic. You know? yeah. But that's wow. one of the things they're trying to do to figure out what animal species frequent an area there's a friends of ours also in Washington State who stumbled upon a nest. Yeah. What is a nest? Well, yeah, just like street structures, you know, caroms lined up. So you get a place where vegetation has been weaved together or stacked or piled up and crushed. And you find these different, at different locations. So the one they found in Washington on private areas where people don't access it on a, gr a group of them on ridges near water yeah. without any bird poop in them, without any animal fecal matter, which, which makes it ask some questions of what, what were those for? And they found large human-like footprints around the brush that was broken by hand versus cut and, and, and wedged into these nests. So, uh, people give them a hard time. They say, oh, yeah, it was, it was like a big eagle nest, right? And they're going, well, there's no feathers. Or yeah, yeah. like wood rats will pile sticks, but they also urinate all over them because it helps preserve the wood. You probably didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and the Why nests stay around a lot longer. If you pee on wood, it preserves the wood? Well, wood rats can do it because of the chemicals. Oh, don't just get. go pee I don't on know about your antiques us. around your house. 
Well, I don't know. I, <laughs> I really like this credenza. I better piss all That's yeah. why that corner of the back porch, you know, it looks great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah as a matter of fact. You got to get wood rats to do the right job. Yeah, one of my friends, Ranger Guys, uh, he has three daughters so in one bathroom. You know how that goes. So he did a lot of pissing off the, the, the balcony. <laughs> he had to replace that place. So it doesn't work for humans very okay. well. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, this is fascinating stuff. Uh, if we weren't up against... No, I meant that sincerely. Uh, <laughs> I do like uh, piss stories. Um, uh, we are up against it uh, time-wise. we got a, a show to do here in a little bit. But before yeah. we leave, uh, Fox Meat, you being a Humboldt guy, anything maybe outside the realm the, of Sasquatch? The, the listener should know that yeah. Dr. Fox Meat has presented himself yeah. in a large... Cornucopia wizard hat. <laughs> he is wearing robes. He is uh, an internet wizard. Yeah. What other titles do you hold? Um, well, I mean, Dr. Foxmeat, it's an honorary doctorate, as I said before, Phoenix University. I do yeah. some freelance stuff out of my windowless van if you guys want to catch me around town <laughs> and I'll just wave me down, I'll check it out, you know? But uh, yeah, no, I'm. Uh, I do a lot of wizardry on Twitch, twitch.com slash drfoxmeat. All right. Check me out there. Uh, can you, is it, is wizardry bestowed or how is it delivered? Uh, to me, um, I don't, I, th I, you can learn it, you're born with it. I think that usually what it is with wizardry is you find it and you realize that that's something that's, you know, Harry Potter didn't know he was a wizard when he was born, but you know. Yeah. And I, th I find that it's, um, it's somewhat mundane. A lot of people are like, you know, cast a spell, let's do some magic. Usually it comes down to more like uh, discussions on new Taco Bell items, stuff like that. Oh, you know shit. I've been a wizard for a while, no, though. Yeah. <laughs> Kyle, I was going to say. We've, yeah, been, we've been wizards for a minute. Yeah, you guys are both in danger of becoming wizards, you know, just a couple more inches on the beard. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. But, uh, is there any wizardry send-off you can give us to uh, round out the, the, the podcast here? Um, you know... Live long and prosper. May the force be with you. I don't know. It's <laughs> good. It's good advice. Yeah. Right on, Doctor Fox. Me. Thank you so much. Where can we find you online, Doctor Fox? Um, I was saying before uh, at D O C T O R F O X M E A T on you know Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff, and then same at, at uh, Twitch.com. I do. Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturday nights on Twitch. Come and we'll talk about. We'll we'll start talking about magic and and mystery, and eventually end up talking about the Crunchwrap Supreme. It's this just is, the way it goes. This is, this is Boogie Monster Wheelhouse, like nobody's Exa business. You know, uh, Rowdy and Rob, uh, what projects can we promote for you on the podcast right now? We do have the Bluff Creek project. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's all Bluff right Creek there. project. Uh, we got Facebook. We got a. Um, a blog spot. We got a podcast. Yeah, yeah you can. It'll all pop up when Under you Bluff when Creek you Project. It. Bluff Creek Project. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, guys, thank you so much for your time. Sure. Thank you for your expertise. This is uh, fascinating to have uh, something just a, a notch above bar stool hearsay. To have some people who somebody uh, who knows what they're talking about actually been out the there, show. done the legwork. <laughs> so uh, we certainly appreciate your time, and these stories are fascinating. Yeah. So, thanks for having us, guys. Thank thanks, everybody. Guys. Give it up for thanks. our guests, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Live, I'm Dave Stone. This is Kyle Kinane. Thanks for coming out. Well, yeah. Have a good night, everybody. All Thank right. you. Thanks, guys. The Boogie Monster.
Network.